every year there's that one NHL stud, or maybe there's several, where you can't help but wonder what's going on with them. Kind of looks like they're in the proverbial doghouse. Can they get out of it, and can they return to their previous form? We'll tackle that in our main topic. Meanwhile, the Coyotes hand out another interesting contract extension. Several teams get hit by injuries to key talents. Tom Wilson gets his suspension reduced, and we have two minor deals to report. Episode 146 starts right now. And now, it's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. Before we go anywhere, we're going to delve into the Hockey Hall of Fame book of trivia. Brett, are you ready for this week's question? I am, yes. All right, this is a tough one, but do your best as always. How of many course. players became Hall of Famers without the normal three-year waiting period between retirement and induction? A, only three. B, only five. C, only 10, or D, only 20. Wait, say that again? Well, what's the question again? Okay, uh, yeah. it's a fully loaded one. So here it is again. How many players became Hall of Famers without the normal three-year waiting period uh, between retirement and induction? Okay. Your options are A, only three, B, only five, C, only 10, or D, only 20? Well, this is a, first off, this is a fitting question considering there was the inductions um, this, this past this, week. This yeah. past week. Um, the only reason it would make sense is uh, I don't, I'm surprised it's only happened more than once, even still. So I'm going to say th- only 3A. It was actually 10. Wow. Yeah, so they actually had the list here. So uh, Dick Clapper was inducted in 1947, way before our time. Okay. There was the Rocket Richard, obviously, in 1961. Oh, okay, that makes sense. All right. Um, There's only Lindsay like the exceptional ones. Ted Lindsay was another one. Yep. Uh, Red Kelly in 69, Terry Sawchuck in 71, John Beliveau in 72, Gordy Howe in 72, the same year. Bobby Orr in 1979, your favorite player. Right, right. Mario Lemieux in 97, and uh, of course, Wayne Gretzky in 1999. Uh, okay. He was inducted the same year he retired. Yeah, I was overthinking it because I thought, like, oh, it doesn't, like, why would they, like, disregard that rule? And then it was like, oh, yeah, of course, for legends like that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it was like, oh, right. Yeah. Obviously, Gretzky, um, Gretzky, Orr, and um, Lemieux. Lemieux were probably I could understand why you would say only three because those are the only three that probably yeah. a lot of us would know but no there and, have been several well no I I figured that when you when you said market uh Maurice Richard is like oh yeah of course right <laughs> that makes sense I'm kind of surprised now that you say this I'm kind of surprised um Yamir Yager hasn't gotten in with like hasn't disregarded this rule either he's like a first ballot hall of famer oh yeah but he's, yeah. he's still he's still playing hockey. That's the thing. Oh, 
But I thought it was only... Oh, I see what you mean. So but is he playing in the KHL? Wait, is Yager still playing hockey? I think he's playing overseas. He hasn't totally retired from hockey. Oh, that must be... Why? I thought he, like, he stopped playing altogether. No, no, I, I think he's... I mean, I believe you. I, I don't know. We're taking a lot of time here, but... Yeah, but, yeah, I'm pretty sure he's going to be added to this list. Because yeah, 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 okay. Be that, okay, that makes sense. Um, uh, I believe you. Um, I'll check later. Uh, anyways, uh, so we're here today um because it's around the time it's like the 20 game mark uh where we you know it's oh it's always funny before then it's we kind of like say like oh should we worry about this team and then we're like no let's wait till it's you know a little bit later and now you can't really you know so you, you now you can't really give them that much slack here there's 20 games in this is usually around the time that's like a famous saying is around american thanksgiving which is this week um is when teams start you know deciding on if they're buyers or sellers if they can seriously contend or if they're tanking um or rebuilding for next year um and there's a couple of players here that are struggling more than we expected them to um and uh, so we have five players. I'm sure there's other ones, but um, these are the five biggest ones that we we saw that um, it's a, maybe is a cause for concern. But um, on the other hand, I wouldn't be surprised. I'm gonna say this right out because we're gonna ask this question at the end when we we finish talking about all five of these guys. But um, I wouldn't be surprised if all five of these guys actually pick it up and are back to their usual selves of what we are expecting them to do. But at the same time, it's, um, it's a little bit, uh, concerning, um, now. So, uh, the first one, which is probably, I don't know if it's for a fantasy perspective, I've noticed cause I have them in two leagues, but, um, um, I'm going to say the, the, are the first one that we're, that's, we're all concerned about is Patrick Line. Um, he has he has eight goals in 18 games played and 11 points. Um, of course, 11 points in 18 games is not bad. Uh, but uh, the things to note here are that he um, he doesn't have um, any even strengths goals yet. Um, most of the games, it looks like he's back on the second line, but. There was a couple of games where he was on the third line. He's been on PP1 for a bit now, so that's not a concern either. But, um, and you know, it's not like the, you know, the Jets have a ton of weapons in uh, Wheeler, Shifley, Ellers, um, even Kyle Connor now. Um, so it's not like they need, like, I mean, it would be nice if Line A gets back to full health, but you know, they're still desperate. Yeah, exactly. It would be nice if they can get him going again, but at the same time, it's like, all right, (laughs) um, you know, they're not like in need, desperate need for him, like other guys that we're about to talk about. Um, but at the same time, it is a little concerning. He, uh, I mean, I remember we talked about this during our preview where I was saying how like, you know, he had 44 goals in 16 minutes of ice time on average, 
but now he uh, he has 16 minutes on average still but like his you know he's and he's still kind of shooting a lot he has 69 shots right now um in 18 games and that's a shooting percentage of 11 so that's really really low um for him so that just shows that it's maybe it's unlucky unlucky here but at the same time it's like um i'm i'm not even sure if he's gonna make it to 40 goals now um and i was like i was predicting him to be like the like the the next art ross the next um alex ovechkin so there is some bright sides to it but now i'm i'm getting kind of concerned because i don't know if he's gonna be that goal scorer that we come to expect of him yeah, well, you would think, you know, there's death taxes and Patrick Liney scoring goals. Like, we should be expecting this. Um, but, you know, you obviously don't expect a guy like Patrick Liney to be on the fourth line, which was the case with uh, a game against Toronto on uh, October the 27th. And yep. and that's what really started this conversation. Like, what's up with Patrick Liney? Yep. Like, you don't go from scoring 40-plus goals to, you know, just eight goals on 69 shots and – a reduced shooting percentage it's down about seven almost seven percentage points than last year um and and like you said it's it's not the fact that he's struggling to score goals it's the fact that you're utilizing him in the bottom six when you should be probably utilizing him on the top six all yep. the time but um i think his skill level and his massive shot at some point are going to take over yep and you're starting to see the goals come about right now like he had that hat trick game against florida and finland right and um and, and he then he went on a goal streak he started to uh put up a goal per game right type numbers since then so there's that um i definitely think um things are on the up and up for patrick Lining, but in his defense, Nikolai Ehlers only has four goals to his name. True. While Blake Wheeler has been going on this massive point streak, he hasn't scored a ton with the Jets this year either. But we're talking about Patrick Liney because Patrick Liney is a pure goal scorer. And I, I think he's got the mental fortitude to move past this, get back to work, and start scoring goals again. And... I, I think it's only a matter of time. I think we're starting to see it, like I said, with yep. the game against Finland. Um, we talk about Alex Ovechkin, and people forget that Alex Ovechkin, a couple of years ago, he had goal-scoring struggles of his own, and we yep. thought, oh, you know, maybe he can't score 50 anymore. And now he's scoring 40 to 50 goals. He's got a Stanley Cup under his belt. Mm-hmm. Things are going to turn around for Patrick Lane soon. He's going to figure things out. Yeah, I do kind of wonder, though, like, I always wondered why, I mean, I guess Paul Maurice knows what he's doing because the Jets are an elite team now, but um, it's it's always weird to me. It's like when you have a guy like Patrick Laine, I mean, sure, he's not great defensively, although he does hit a ton and he does block somewhat. But, like, you know, when you have a guy like him, he should be in your top six when he's, like, he's an offensive threat. He's one of the most dangerous guys in the league. Um, because of that, you know, because of his shot and, you know, he has 40 goals uh, the other day, you know, last year, and then he had 36 goals his rookie year. So it, it seems like he's, he's like, has this potential and it just seems so weird to even put him on the third and fourth line. Uh, cause and it's not... maybe that's why his yeah. goal scoring has kind of suffered because, you know, right. you try and mix your lines up, you try and... yeah. You, you try and balance out uh, your attack, I suppose, but 
what if the guys in the second, third, and fourth line don't complement Patrick Lenny's abilities as well as the top line? Right. That kind of hinders him in a respect as well. Yep. Um, and one thing to mention that I think I've already mentioned, which is a little crazy, but uh, he's only had, uh, he hadn't, so that hat trick that you mentioned um, in Finland against the, the Panthers, um, mm. th- those two goals were, uh, he had two of those goals were on the power play, and then the uh, the third goal was an empty netter goal. So he hasn't been great um, on even strength yet. Um, and it's just, it's just strange to have him, you know, it seems like only Blake Wheeler can get to him. And I guess, um, because they're both right wingers, you have to like, you can only use them on the power play, um, which is a little odd when you really think about it. But, um, so I don't know, it's just, uh, um, it's an odd move when in, in that case, but I don't know. I mean, like I am concerned, but I'm also like, um, kind of hopeful just because of that that shooting percentage is very low for him um and as you mentioned i feel like ovechkin is a good comparable to line a because they both can hit and they both have a wicked shot and great on the power play um it's just now line a has to prove that he can do more than than what we know he's capable of on the power play um, so I don't think he, I feel like he's too good to be a, just a power play specialist um, in that sense. Um, mm-hmm. And but, I think yeah. he's, he's got the right circle of people. I'm sure like he could ask, you know, a good buddy of his, Alexander Barkov, you know, his approach to struggles. I'm sure he could ask him Solani, who's been around this league for years and right. years and, and knows the tricks of the trade. So like, He's got the resources to get through this, 100%. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go to the next uh, the next guy. Um, I mean, well, after after we talk about all five, we'll talk about if we think they're going to uh, pick it up or not. Um, so now we have uh, Jamie Benn. Uh, he just – so we're recording this on Sunday. Um, he just played. He had an assist, but it's still a cause for concern because he's not been – what we expect of Jamie Ben, so he has 15 points in 20 games. Of course, again, like Line A, that's not terrible. Of course, but it's like you know Jamie Ben's like an uh, maybe an 80 point guy um, or a 70 point guy, but that's like uh, I don't know the paces that feels. Isn't that like a? I feel like that's a 50 point or 60 point pace, which isn't terrible, of course, but. Um, but it's not Jamie Benn. It's like, not Jamie, Jamie Benn. Benn right. gets between 80 and 90 points a year. Exactly. And um, so so I and I feel like, unlike, as I was talking about, unlike Patrick Laine, because the Jets have a ton of weapons in Wheeler, Shifley, and Connor, and all those, and Ellers, uh, the Stars really only have Sagan and Ben. Um, and and now, Radulov. And Radulov. Yeah. Um, and now that Klingberg has been injured for a bit, it's, you know, that kind of also takes away from their depth and, you know, um, maybe Heiskanen can be something. But anyways, um, Ben is a huge part of their offense because, you know, it's been a lot. It's been like the last couple of years, it's always been like you have Sagan, Ben, and then Radulov recently now, and then no one else at, for depth scoring 
So they they really need uh, Jimmy Ben to start picking it up. Um, you almost had Tyler Sagan in here, but I felt like he's he's been doing a little bit better than Jamie Ben. But I guess he is also another one who can be cause for concern, or we can talk about for sure. Uh, but anyways, uh, yeah. So he has uh, 15 points in 20 games. Um, his average time on ice is uh, 19 uh, 19 minutes and 10 minutes and 10 seconds, um, which isn't bad. Uh, for a top line guy, um, and he has uh, 55 shots, um, and seven of them are goals. I'm actually this, this is might be outdated, so I don't know the shooting percentage per se. But um, right here it says not including today's stats, but he has a 12.7 uh, shooting percentage. Um, so that's uh, that's somewhat low, I guess. Still, but. Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like uh, he's. I feel more optimistic about Jamie Ben, but at the same time, he's he's around. You know, he's twenty nine years old, and I, the style of play for a guy like that, who's more of like a power forward who hits a lot, um, they're not like you know they don't usually age well. So, I am more concerned about Jamie Ben's. Um, potential compared to a guy like Patrick Laine just because he is a power forward and I know power forwards are less uh, sturdy um, if that's a word and he also hits a ton as well well like that, that wears you where it's kind of wears you down look at Dustin yeah, Brown exactly I mean that's kind of my point is is because he's a power forward who hits a lot um, I am concerned about that that aspect of things where I feel like he has to change his game a bit where um, he doesn't hit as much or he just becomes more of an assist guy and he's not like the, the just the goal scorer guy. So that's, that's where I'm more concerned about if he can transition his game um, when, you know, because that's usually, that's like a common thing for power forwards is like later on in their careers, they can't hit as much because it wears on your body. Like think about like Milan Lucic, he's now not even like good on a on a physical level. So um, so there is that aspect of things where I feel like you know Jamie Ben is twenty nine years old, as opposed to Patrick Laine who's twenty. Um, so I feel like there like I I wouldn't be surprised if Ben just ends up getting like sixty points, which of course isn't bad for any player, but. Um, Jamie Ben, you know, we kind of expect a little bit more out of him. Yeah, I mean, you look at his stats last year, 32nd in the league in shots generated. He had over 240 this year, 57 shots prior to today's action. Uh, so that puts him just within top 50 in the league. Yep. Um, scored one less goal than Patrick Laine, believe it or not. And um, he's averaged roughly five or six more shifts than Laine per game. But Patrick Laine is having a better time somehow scoring goals than a guy that, like you said, is playing all of his minutes on the top line, playing a lot of time on the primary power play unit. And like you said, Dallas's top line, it's basically just them and nothing else. The one thing that kind of has hurt them is now without John Klingberg, 
Uh, Radulov, I think, at one point this year uh, missed eight of nine games due to injury. So not having Radulov on the top line maybe factored into a bit of uh, Jamie Benn's struggles. But like you said, Tyler Sagan leads the league in 92 shots, only six goals on the year. He struggled just as much as Jamie Benn. So a part of me thinks, yeah, Jamie's probably going to figure things out and return to his old self, score like 30 to 40 goals this year. But down the line, the wear and tear I'm a bit concerned about. Yeah, I I think there are a couple of players in this league I, where you like they do play physical um, and you, you know, it is cause for concern. Like Ovechkin's the, uh, really the only exception to this kind of thing, but it seems like, you know, just because they have that added factor of how many hits they have, which is great, obviously, but at the same time, it's like there is a wear and tear factor to it. So, um, yeah, I think there is some, some concern in that regard. Um, but at the same time, I wouldn't be like, you know, this is his 10th year in the league. Um, so I wouldn't be necessarily be surprised. I could go either way with me on this. Cause I wouldn't be surprised if he suddenly starts picking it up or, you know, it's reverse where he's like, wait, like Jamie Ben is kind of like a, uh, um, like a version of his previous self, you know, not as great. Um, so, um, that is something to, uh, to look after. Um, just have Jason Spezza deliver all the hits. Problem solved. Yeah. Although Jason Spezza is even older than him. Uh, yeah, and he also doesn't hit that much. <laughs> well, he did get in that fight, um, against yeah, Connor Clifton. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Kind of, kind of instigated a little bit as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, although he didn't, he didn't, he lost, he ended up losing that fight. Um, yeah, he ended up. <laughs> uh, let's anyway, go. Move, move moving on, on moving on. on. Um, Anze Kopitar, um, this is kind of like, it's not surprising, surprising, considering we didn't expect it. He had 92 points in 82 games last year. We didn't really expect that, you know, to happen. We kind of expect that to like slow down just a little bit. But, uh, and this may have more to do with the fact that the Kings aren't that good right now, um, more than anything. But at the same time, Anse Kopitar has, um, he has, sorry, uh, he has eight points in 18 games. Um, he's not shooting a ton with 40 shots in those 18 games. Um, and his average time on, but his, he's, you know, he's still getting top line minutes. So he has, uh, 22, uh, minutes on ice. Apparently this, he's 31 years old. So that's kind of crazy too. But, um, but yeah, and he's, he, it seems like, um, something's going on with Anze Kopitar where, um, he's not at least on the offensive side of things. Um, and I mean, maybe that has more to do with the fact that he's, you know, um, he might be getting older, but, or he's not, uh, necessarily, um, you know, it's just the team, the team, uh, chemistry is not there yet either. Um, but at the same time, it's like, we expect him to be a little bit better right now. He's on pace for 36 points. Um, so that's a huge drop off from his 92 points last year. 
Um, I don't think he's, <laughs> I think it's safe to say that he's not getting 92 points again uh, this year. Yeah, but sure, no. uh, do you even think he's going to get like 75? Uh, well, when you consider that as of November 4th, he had the highest average time on ice per game amongst forwards. He's fourth in that stat category today. Um, he's certainly going to get his chances yeah. to um, to step it up and return to form offensively. But like you said, five goals on 40 shots, that's not good. He had 35 on 200 shots last year, so his shooting percentage is way down. Um, and unlike some of the other teams with stars that are struggling, um, like the Jets can wait on Patrick Lane to score goals because they yep. have so much depth. The Sharks can wait on Carlson because they have Brent Burns. Yep. The Kings can't wait on Owense Kopitar. Yep. Like, he has no choice. He has to play better. Yep. Um, I think 60 to 70 points is realistic, but 75 eh, might be pushing it. Yeah, I mean, I know that Kopitar in the past couple of years is usually a slow starter, so there is something to that to that effect where maybe it's, you know, he'll have like a an amazing second half or something like that or an amazing January on kind of thing. But at the same time, it, it, it just like I'm, I'm more concerned with the team than the actual player because it's not I'm not like doubting that that Anze Kopitar is a bad team player, um, you know, just a bad or a bad player in general. I know he's only 31, but still. It's just now that the you know the Kings have dropped off even further than he has, and now I'm kind of concerned if if he's even going to have chances anymore to uh, even get points uh, because you know he's always going to be behind and all that stuff. So, I, the, yeah, or his talent level is is regressing a little bit too that's, in, in the same yeah. sense because like yeah. like you said before that big season last year he had an off year. Right. So if this is his second off year in three years, is it going to be like a one step forward, one step back kind of thing? Yeah, but that's kind of incredible when you think about it because it, it's true. Like he had, I'm looking at his stats here. So he had 52 points in 76 games the year before that. And then he had 92 points in 82 games um, in an age 30 year. Um, but And then now he has eight points in 18 games. So that's not great. Um, so that's like, it's one of those things where, um, I don't know. I, I think of these players that we're about to talk about, Kopitar is probably the one I'm most concerned about where I'm not yeah. sure if he can pick it up, but at the same time, you know, I like to be optimistic generally speaking. And I, you know, I, I would love to be proven wrong on this, but at this point, um, I don't really see it. <laughs> um, I could see maybe he gets 50 points or 60 points, but um, I feel like 70 points is kind of pushing it at this point. Um, let's talk about, as you mentioned before, uh, with the Jets um, and Patrick Laine, uh, Steven Stamkos, um, you know, the Lightning are, are another team that don't have the, have the same kind of issues. Um, Steven Stamkos is, he has, to his credit, he has been getting better. I think he has, um, he has three assists and one goal in the last five games. Um, so that's not terrible. And, you know, he's in a, he's in a good place. But at the same time, um, 
like last year he had you know he was on the, a ridiculous hot start um, where he had 86 points in 78 games but now he has 17 points in 20 games also again that's not that's definitely not terrible but as I was looking here that puts him at okay at 70 points um, I still feel like um, he might so it, like it's a little different than everyone else um, that we've talked about in terms of um, in terms of points because he's on a 70 point pace and he has picked it up but I do wonder because now the only reason why I brought him up because I know you didn't even bring him up pre-show um, but like Braden Point is incredible <laughs> um, so I uh, and you know and so is Yanni like Braden Point has 20 points in 20 games Kucherov is also doing his thing, and uh, he has 23 points in 20 games. Yanni Gord is 20 points in 20 games. So, like, we do talk about how, like, the Lightning have so much depth, um, kind of like Line A. So, it's like, even if Stamkos isn't doing as well, you have those three guys who can pick up the slack. But at the same time, it's like, you know, Stamkos, is, is he not an elite talent anymore? Or is that... Um, or are, are we just like, is he just slowing down? Um, like, or is he, or is he just like picking up later? Or like, you know, he doesn't have to score a ton of points anymore because Braden Point and Yanni Gord and Kucherov can all, uh, take over. Well, yeah. So here's the thing with Stamkos. Um, his goal scoring abilities have not been the same since his, series of injuries True. over over uh, the past couple of years yeah and um he's not going to score 50 to 60 goals anymore i think those days are gone i think 30 to 40 goals scored per year is what you should expect from steven stamkos now and if you look at stamkos's numbers from 2016 17 when he only played 17 games and missed a chunk of time due to that one injury that year he had nine goals and 11 assists for a total of 20 points so point per game score but nine goals in 17 games that year he had three power play goals and seven power play points 58 shots on target this year six goals on 63 shots compared to nine goals on 58 shots that's not much of a difference um and in his first 20 games this year he has 17 points so just under a point per game only one power play goal that might be a bit of a concern but still seven power play points so relatively unchanged there and if you look at nikita kucherov who's been a 30 to 40 goal scorer he has seven goals so that's one yep. more than steven stamkos so i don't think it's the best time to be steven stamkos but i wouldn't call this an embarrassing start he's still True. doing relatively well yeah, and and like you said, with Tampa secondary scoring, you compare Stamkos's ice time to Point and Gord. Stamkos has averaged seventeen minutes thirty one seconds per game this year. Yep. Point has averaged twenty one seconds less. Yannick Gord has averaged twenty five seconds left, uh, twenty five seconds less. Sorry. Yep. And uh, Gord has twenty points. Point has 14 goals. Stamkos doesn't have 10-plus goals. He doesn't have 20 points even. So 
I think it's one of those things where things are eventually going to balance out soon and Stamkos is yeah. going to have a good year. Yeah, I guess that's fair. Like, it's not like he, you know, he's dropped off dramatically. So, but I still feel like we should we should include him because of the factor that, like, you know, Stamkos, we, we were so used to Stamkos being, like, you know, it was Kucherov and Stamkos were the, the main guys in Tampa. And now it seems like Point, um, and Kucherov's still up there too, but it seems like Point and Gord have kind of taken over that mantle of have been picking up the slack for Stamkos. And they're also making millions less than Stamkos yeah. and Kucherov. And that's also not to say that Stamkos hasn't been terrible either. Um, It's just like, it's just one of those things. It's just things. that he's yeah. not producing enough to live up to the contract. Exactly, exactly. Um, And also, like, when you think about it too, it's, it's even more impressive what Point and Gord are doing because Hedman um, hasn't been great either. Um, he has six points in 13 games. I know he's been injured for a bit, but I thought that was worth a mention that, um, you know, Hedman's one of those guys from um, who won the Norris last year, and he hasn't been as great. And, of course, he got injured, so and maybe he's still dealing with some injuries still. But um, he's another one where you're like, oh, what's going on there? But I don't know. It's... I feel like it, you know, it comes an age for a guy like Stamkos, and I know he has injury history, um, and he's, I guess he's, he's only twenty eight years old, but um, maybe like, maybe in a couple years we'll be like, we'll see like that he's not up to par, but twenty eight years old is when you're, you know, supposed to be in your prime, um, and I feel like. Samkos isn't there yet um but again you know it's always funny now that I feel like we're talking about this guy we're like all five of these players I feel like then eventually like they'll all like have a hat trick like in their next game and kind of like it's the podcast jinx to the max so I, it'll be funny if, if that happens where like Line has a hat trick and Stamkos uh, is scoring all these goals and Kopitar is like uh, one of the three stars of the week or something like that. Um, it'll be pretty funny. And we if will that happily happens. take all the credit in the world for exactly, that. Exactly, exactly. Like that, that we, we snap we, their skids before yeah, it happens. They're, they're, secretly, they're secretly listening in somehow. Yeah, they're, <laughs> they're secretly, their skids have gone away now. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of which... Uh, we had Eric Carlson on our list before, and then all of a sudden he had a goal and an assist the like the next day uh, when we created this list. So he may already be back, and he may already be picking it up. But I figured we should include him because uh, the goal last night um, against the Blues was his first goal of the year. Um, of course, you know. Carl, uh, Carlson's a defenseman, so we don't expect him to have a ton of goals every year. But at the same time, he's an elite defenseman. Um, you know, he's and he's and he's had a couple twenty goal seasons in his career exactly. Too. And like there was so much hype for him on the Sharks this year, where uh, where we were kind of expecting him to have um, a season where he was going to have seventy or eighty points this year. Um, still, um, he's still getting on the score sheet though. Uh, he has, uh, he has 12 points in 21 games. Uh, Brent Burns has been really the story though, cause he has 22 points in 21 games, but
But Eric Carlson hasn't been terrible either. Um, still, um, but now he has, you know, he's, um, but if he's on pace for 47 points in 82 games. So that's not the standard that we uh, expect out of Eric Carlson. I think he's one of those guys too. I mean, you've seen a lot of his games um, uh, early on where, um, you know, I feel like he's one of those guys too that is a slow, like a notorious slow starter as well. Um, but uh, but this is the first time where he's on a different team. Um, there is this aspect of things where I was actually thinking about this because like when he was in Ottawa, he was the guy and mm -hmm. um, everything like the power play, even strength, he was on the ice for a ton of the, a ton of the minutes. I guess he's still on the ice for a ton of minutes here in San Jose. But, uh, you know, he was like they're the best defenseman by far. But now in San Jose, um, you know, he always had the puck and he always like any any offensive thing, any offensive puck moving happened. It was through him. And in San Jose, um, you have guys like Brent Burns. You have guys like Mark uh, Mark Edward Vlasic. Uh, it's kind of it's kind of the equivalent yeah. to what happened when Subban went to Nashville. Like he becomes the guy right. in Montreal, and then he's you know on the same decor as Roman Yossi and Ryan Ellis. Right, and I mean it, it does become a thing like like we've been talking about like a Patrick Line or Steven Stamkos situation where it's like even if. Carlson is struggling they can afford to make that happen because you have a guy like Brent Burns on your team and Vlasic and uh Justin Braun who's kind of underrated too so it's and, he, and you've also got offense galore and and, and right not to mention the uh the amount of options you have in like Logan Couture Timo Meyer now uh Thomas Hurdle Kevin LeBlanc has gotten up there too so it's like uh and Joe Thornton when he's healthy um, so it's, you're not, or Joe Pavelski even. Anyways, I could go yeah, on. Pavelski's, Pavelski's had a resurgence this year. He's yeah. got like 14 goals, I think. Something like that. Um, but anyways, I could go on and on. But my point is, is that they have a ton of depth, not just on their defensive side of things, but on their offensive side of things. So it's like, if Eric Carlson is struggling, He's not necessarily, uh, it's not a terrible thing. Cause, I mean, like, obviously it's great if he can get back to that 70-point guy that we're used to. But at the same time, it's not a huge deal if he um, if he's um, not as good on a point side of things. Um, of course, that probably stinks for your fantasy team. But, um, but still, it's... It is like a, a thing that, like, makes all the sense when you realize that, like, he doesn't have to be the guy, and and maybe that's nice for him that he's not relied upon to be the guy um, in San Jose. Yeah, and uh, just to double check, Pavelski has thirteen goals, not okay. fourteen, but still well, thirteen still, goals still, in twenty-one. Pretty, that's still pretty good, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so taking a look at Carlson, when you look at his con controlled zone entries, what he's been able to do with the puck at least in the top 20 amongst NHL defensemen. So hasn't dipped off that much in that regard. Right. Um, you look at his time on ice. Um, he's tied for fifth in power play points amongst defensemen with Shane Gostas-Bear. 
Um, shots on goal amongst NHL defensemen, he's fourth in that. He has 62 um, and just eight behind Brent Burns in that category. Um, averaging 27 shifts per game, that's less than Thomas Shabbat in Ottawa, about as much as David Schlemko um, and a couple of shifts at least behind Brent Burns. But... He still averaged a full minute more than Brent Burns on the ice because yeah. I would imagine his shifts are getting a bit long. So he's still getting the chances to put up points. Right. Um, the problem is he's not finishing. Yep. And uh, like you said, he does have a goal now. I think it's going to be a matter of time where, you know, they you get one, others are soon to follow. They're going to follow pretty quickly. And like you said, Eric Carlson was the number one guy in Ottawa. He's the number two guy in San Jose. Um, so I think that also factors into it. I think the underlying factor is the uncertainty about what happens beyond this year. Because we all know last year, all the rumors about Eric Carlson and his future in Ottawa were paramount before anything he did on the ice. And that's a lot for any player to think about. You can only put it behind you for so long. And right now, at the time we're talking... Eric Carlson is still in need of a new contract beyond this season. And he's now in a new city, still relatively adjusting to it. I think once he gets that contract, once he knows where he's going to be playing for the foreseeable future, I think you're going to see the return of the Eric Carlson that can score 70 to 80 points a year. I don't think that Eric Carlson is dead yet. I think Eric is going to return to that form at some point. I don't think it's going to be this year. But I think once he's got the contract situation sorted out, I think you're really going to see the results. Yeah, that's fair. I I mean, I think my point is, is like I am less concerned about him um, just because of what I was saying because of the players around him. Um, mm-hmm. And like... You said you're least concerned about returning to form, right? Yeah, but like... It has more to do with the factor that I think it's like he's getting used to his new role on the team and he has a different role. So maybe it was a bit much for us to expect him to like have 70 points considering of got other like it's like a bit of like a correction of sorts. Um, but having said all that, I wouldn't be surprised if he has a resurgence in the next month or two. Um, where like he's just getting every point he's you know he's contributing on every goal that the Sharks have so that that aspect of things it's like I'm not surprised by him anymore after what he did to the Bruins two years ago in the in the playoffs I, nothing surprises me about him so um, but at the same time it's like I, I, I like the Sharks are going to be okay even if Carlson struggles um, he may not get the contract that he wants if that happens, but at the same time, it's like, you know, it's, it's not a huge, it's like, maybe that happens, but at the same time, we both know that Carlson's like one of the top defensemen in the history. So it's, um, you know, it's, it's hard to like count him out in that regard at the same time. Yeah. You know, I don't know if that all made sense, but, um, I don't want to like get on Eric Carlson's bad side is my point. I don't want to be his, his arch enemy or something. Um, but I, I, I'm just saying that it's um, just in terms of, I feel like it's just a different role for him. And I think that's the, the main factor 
um, as to why he's struggling. It, you know, it, it takes some time to uh, to get used to things on a new team. Um, all right, that brings us to the power rankings, um, which is fun because uh, last week we do the are they for real section. This week we do the power rankings. We're going to switch off every week um, until we finish off with the are they all the teams, all 31 teams in the are they for real section. Um, but we're going to like, you know, uh, continuously keep up with our power rankings, um, which is kind of fun. Um, so I, I'll go first here for the top three, um, and then you'll go first for the bottom three. Um, my top three, I had a little... Um, my first and my second shit. Wait, how did now I forget? Did I do the third? Did I present the third team? No, I guess we'll, I'll just do the first and the second, and then I'll do the third best team. Um, okay. <laughs> I'm I'm talking out loud now. Um, <laughs> so I uh my the first two are kind of hand, go hand in hand, and I feel like this is gonna be a common thing where I'm not sure which team will go first and which team will go second because I wouldn't be surprised if either team um makes it. But um yeah, I was deciding between the Predators and the Lightning for the first spot. The second spot would go for to the other team. I landed on the Predators. Um, they virtually have the same exact record. They both have 29 points in 20 games. They both have 14 wins, five losses, and one overtime loss. Um, but I went with the Predators. Um, I know that Arvidsson is out, um, and and which we'll get to. But Tampa Bay is about to lose Andre Vasilevsky um, for the next, like, couple weeks, and I, um, and, uh, and they almost lost last, uh, last night's game, uh, to the Flyers, um, and I just, but they came back from behind, and as amazing as Braden Point is, and as I mentioned about Kucherov, and I mentioned about, you know, Yanni Gord, I just can't, like, I think just the factor that they, um, almost lot like they gave up five six uh, five goals to the Flyers, um, to a, like a back even though it was a backup goalie at the point, uh, I am kind of worried. I don't know if they'll. I still think they'll be in the top three, um, for them for all the season. But I could see it happening. Uh, where the Lightning are gonna struggle a bit just because. They don't have Vasilevsky here, um, and I don't necessarily trust Doming um, to pick up the slack just yet. Um, and um, I know the Predators don't have Arvidsson, but we've mentioned before like their their depth is pretty strong too. So I'm gonna put the Predators at one and the Lightning at two. Um, as for the third spot, it was a little bit tricky of me. Um, it's really between, um, I could go with the hottest team in the league, which is the Buffalo Sabres. Um, they've won five straight. But um, I'm going to give some credit to the Minnesota Wild. They've been uh, pretty hot uh, lately. Kind of surprising because I didn't even have them making the playoffs. But they've, uh, you know, Dubnik is still Dubnik. Um, and and. 
Dumba has been incredible. So has Miko Koivu. Um, Parise has kind of had this resurgence as well. So, um, and so has uh, Michael Granlin. So I kind of wanted to give them a shout out too, because we did a shout out to the Sabres last week. But I think um, I wanted to give a shout out to the other big surprise uh, this year so far in the Minnesota Wild, where I feel like um, I don't know how long it's going to last, but um, it is kind of cool that they are in the thick of things in the Central Division, which isn't an easy feat, as we know. Yeah, for me, Nashville's still my top team. They could have been much lower if they didn't come back against the Kings on Saturday. Yep. Uh, they were trailing for a good chunk of that game. Uh, UC Saros kind of fizzled a little bit since Rene's come back from injury, but uh, Rene himself has been great. Um, like you said, a lot of depth on offense. Um, like Colton Sissons has got a hat trick. Um, Philip Forsberg's gotten a hat trick. So they've been getting a lot of help from everyone. Um, but latest batch of injury news is it could hit them hard. So we'll see how they do. Uh, the lyric, because of how Freddie Anderson has elevated his game, their offense has been able to get by without Matthews and Nylander in the lineup. And I don't know if you're watching the Anaheim game on Friday, but Zaitsev and Gardner um, put on a defensive show against the Ducks. So um, uh, the Leafs are getting my props at number two. Um, for my third pick, I'm going to go with the Sabres, 12-6-2. Uh, Skinner and Eichel are doing magic. The team is buying in. I like what they're bringing. Okay. Well, yeah, I I almost had the Sabers. I was thinking of putting the the Leafs in, but I um I I guess I kind of wanted to give a shout out to the to the uh, the Wild there. Um, I will give a shout out to Braden Point, who somehow got a hat trick in ninety one seconds. I don't know how that's possible, yep, but he did it. That was incredible too. Uh, all right, now we go to the um the bottom three. So what? Who's your bottom three? Well, the Vegas Golden Knights can't hide their struggles anymore. Their road record is trash. They can't score in the power play. They're a bottom five team in goals scored, and they're a bottom three team on my list. Um, the second worst for me is the Los Angeles Kings. They continue to amaze us with the level of free-falling mm -hmm. they've displayed. However, the Penguins are doing so bad, they somehow top them. Oh, wow. um, I think Pittsburgh's too good to be below 500 right now. They need answers. They're hurting. They look disconnected. Yep. And I'd be very concerned if I was Mike Sullivan right now. Yeah, I uh, mine looks pretty similar to your bottom three. I have the Pittsburgh as the third worst. I still feel like it. I mean, we'll mention this before because uh, they did make a trade, uh, but you know, at the same time, it's kind of like Malkin's still doing pretty well. Uh, so is Phil Kessel, and I mean, I know they won't have Crosby for a bit, but um, it's still, like, it's hard to count out a team with with those two guys in your lineup. Um, still, like, you know, Crosby is Crosby, but Malkin is also Malkin. So um, I, I am a little concerned about Matt Murray, um, but Casey DeSmith hasn't been terrible. He has a 930 save percentage in 11 games. Um, but, uh, but at the same time, yeah, I, I would be a little bit concerned with the Penguins at this point, um, just cause you know, they could be a lot better. Uh, but, uh, at the same time, it's so hard to, 
uh, count them out with uh, the amount of talent that they have. So mm -hmm. I'm not there yet to put them in the worst of the league, but I am. Uh, I do put them in my bottom three. Second I have is the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, they uh, they did make a coaching change, um, and they did beat the Blues. Um, so I'll give them kudos to that, but it does seem like they're kind of like free falling. Um, they uh, they lost to the LA Kings um, in a shootout, and um, they, <laughs> they did win, but like they've lost, um, they've lost their last like nine games, um, nine of their ten games. So that's um, that's <laughs> that's not good. Um, no matter, like, I always, what is I, good though, yeah, what were you saying? What is good though, is that I just realized they couldn't have a good shot at getting Jack Hughes. Imagine Jack Hughes and Patrick Kane on the same team and Jonathan Tate. Like, that's just yeah. not fair. Yeah, no, that's they're, a good point. Re, the rebuild just gets gone in, in a year because they get Jack Hughes. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, the, the two Americans will be America's team. Um, but yeah, no, it's the, uh, I like. I thought that Corey Crawford could make this team um, into a decent, like a like a bubble team, but um, it turns out I'm wrong on that. Um, and there's more work to be done um, than just uh, firing your coach. So um, I would be curious to see if um, what Bowman does, and he's you know he's under fire because once you fire a coach, um, you know then all eyes are on you when it's yeah, when it's not yeah, going either together. Either the team gets good or you're gone. Exactly. So I will be curious to see uh, what he does. I was about to say maybe they can hire Quinville because he's still on the market, but then I was just like, that doesn't make sense. He's the he only... Scotty Bowman to yeah, coach again. Yeah, he's the only coach that... Uh, that he's the only team that he can't go to pretty much. Um yeah. I'm kind of surprised that Quenville didn't get picked up by a team, actually. Give um, it time. Give it time. I say, it. I say um, he takes time to um, spend time with family for American Thanksgiving. But after that, I think the Coles are really going to pick up. Yep. Um, and then my last team here is uh, the Kings. Um, they're another team who just fired their coach, but it doesn't seem to be helping. Uh, they did beat the, the Blackhawks um, in a shootout. But still, uh, they don't look great. Um, so I'm not going to, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, um, and they almost beat the Predators, as you mentioned when uh, you were talking about them. But um, at the same time, it's like, I, I don't give credit for that. Um, I still, I feel like the Kings are like the only truly bad team um, that we've seen. Um so far like i wouldn't be surprised if the blackhawks or the uh or the um penguins pick it up but i would i do not think the kings have will ever figure it out this season um but yeah i'll, I'll be proven wrong if that if that does happen but I just especially you know, considering I feel now like there's, that uh, Jack Campbell is out four yep. to six weeks and they're now down to their third stringer. Exactly. So I feel like they're like so far gone now. Um, they're they're given the treatment that the Golden Knights had last year, but um, but they didn't get lucky like the the Knights did get. So yeah, the problem is the Golden Knights are winning yeah. and they're not. 
Yep, uh, exactly. So the other teams that I was thinking about were the Blues and the Golden Knights, um, but uh, but I did feel like I had to mention the Penguins um, in this. Um, oh, and the Panthers as well, although I feel like uh, Luongo has helped a bit. Yeah. Um, let's go to the rapid fire here. Um, a lot of news from the Capitals, as we'll, as you'll know. Uh, Tom Wilson's uh, was suspended for 20 games. Um, his sentence got reduced to 18 games. Um, this was the same arbitrator who dealt with the Austin Watson um, su- the redu- reduced suspension, um, yeah. you know, early on in the season, but. Um, and I guess he was also like the MLB had him as an arbitrator, um, but they fired him because of similar reasons of, uh, not being really fair. Um, so I was thinking this was like, you know, it's one of those things where I guess the NHL does have like, like the NHL PA does have a point that like, since this is so unprecedented, that like you know Tom Wilson shouldn't be ha- be given twenty games to begin with, um, but still it seems so uh, like and that like it should be reduced a bit, um, but it still seems incredible that he even got it this far. Um, I believe that like at this point, Wilson, um, like like think it was like at 15 games but since 18 games have already been played um they just uh, it, they so were so able to pay him we had served 16 games yeah um so the last two games that he had missed he was compensated for he got the money right. lost back from that yeah so so i believe that's the that's like the contributing factors that even though he didn't play um, he retroactively got paid for that. Um, but right. still it's, it's, um, I don't know. It's, it's a strange situation cause this is unprecedented, but at the same time, I don't know if Tom Wilson has learned. Um, it's, it seems like they're kind of like, I get that 20 games is a little too much for them and it is unprecedented, but at the same time, well, what he did, um, was a little, uh, was too overboard even for a preseason game, it doesn't matter. So I, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I could go either way. I feel like. So um, here, here's a bit of what the arbitrator said and why he decided to reduce the suspension. The difficulty with the 20 game suspension at issue is the mythology used to multiply the most recent prior discipline, the equivalent as upheld above of six games by a factor of three times. George Peros decided on this multiplier as part of his formula, which the commission concluded was eminently reasonable and appropriate after reviewing prior suspensions issued to six other players who had received three suspensions within an 18-month period. There is no evidence that any specific multiplier as such was used to determine the discipline in those or other prior instances of repeated rule violations. And the after effect and the errors that were calculated by Peros for purposes of this case varied widely from negative numbers to 10 times in the case of Rafi Torres. 
and the tourist kit they were talking about because there were several right. was the 25 game suspension for a postseason hit on Hosa, and it was reduced from 25 games to 21. Um, he goes on, if there was to be any multiplier to be used at all, the NHLPA contended that it should be the one used in the case of former Sabres winger Patrick Coletta, could not stand that guy, by the way, Yep. who had three suspensions and a fine over a span of 94 games and considerably less total on-ice time than Wilson had in the 105 games during in which he had three suspensions and one preseason suspension, which the Players Association insists should be considered the equivalent of a fine. And then he goes on as to why he uh, reduced it down to 14 games. I get the NHL dropped the ball on the Patrick Coletta thing. They should have done a better job. Yep. But we are looking at several shots to the head from Tom Wilson with a concussion lawsuit that might be reaching its end. I think even if that lawsuit goes away, the debate of concussions will not and how the NHL will handle hits the head moving forward is still going to be a critical element of player safety. And if Tom Wilson does not learn his lesson, there is someone in the NHL who could become the next Mark Savard. Right. And the NHL is now trying their best to prevent that from happening. And I guess the, the theory is if Dennis Wyman can get his suspension reduced for decking an official when he's not looking and Austin Watson can be cut some slack for his bad actions, then hey, why not cut Austin uh, then why not cut Tom Wilson's suspension by six games? Like what's the harm gonna do? You know, the suspension's been handed out. I guess I guess the player's gonna learn his lesson, but the 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 appeal process and Matt Collin was right to call this out, the appeal process took six weeks. Yep. You need to come to a resolution very, very quick when it comes to these sorts of things because the longer this drags on for, what are the chances that the player is actually going to be thinking about what he did? Like, he's still missing time, yeah. and it's still going to suck. And it's going to be a pain-in-the-butt process they probably won't go through. But they're waiting for their appeal. While they're serving their suspension, they're just like, oh, maybe I'll get my suspension reduced. Not gee, how can I change my game to make sure I don't do something like this again? Like, it defeats the purpose of the meaning of why you hand out suspensions, why right. you're forcing a player to miss time, because they did something wrong. They shouldn't be missing time waiting on their appeal. Yeah. A part of me wonders if, like, the NHL suspended him 20 games knowing it's going to be reduced, but they're just hoping it's stuck, so they, like, they gave him a long uh, game's to just make sure that he at least misses a couple of games. Um, mm. You know what I mean? Like, they didn't expect him to wait out the entire 20 games, but they wanted to, like, send a message that, like, we don't agree with what you're doing or we don't like what you're doing and it could be worse and it could, all that stuff. And, and yeah, they were, and, you know... And, and they didn't do a good handling of the Coletta situation. They didn't handle the Matt yep. Cook situation well, and we all know what happened because Mark Savard isn't the same player anymore, exactly. isn't the same human being as he once was with all concussions, but right. like that, they're trying to prevent that from happening a second time by giving uh, by giving Tom Wilson 20 games. Yep, no, that's a good point. And it doesn't help when an arbitrator who's a third party who isn't really affiliated with the NHL in any way just goes out and says, actually, I'm going to cut it down to 14 games instead of the 20 that you handed out. Right, right. 
Um, so, so the Capitals did get Tom Wilson back, but they got three key injuries. Um, anyways, um, so they have, I'm going to leave with that because we have the, we were talking about the Capitals, uh, the, the Braden Holpe, Kuznetsov, um, and Oshi, uh, they all had sustained an upper body injury. They're all day to day. Um, I think the biggest hit will probably be Braden Holtby because now like Phoenix Copley is their starting goaltender at the moment. So I, I am curious about what's going to happen there, but Kuznetsov of course is going to be a big, um, a big, uh, loss for them if they lose time. Um, and Oshi kind of had struggled last year and he struggled again this, although he had a, there was a time when I guess he was. He was good at the start of the season, but um, but now it seems like he's cooled off a bit. So, but I think like Kuznetsov and Holtby are probably going to be a big concern if they do sustain long periods of time out. Yeah, Kuznetsov I think is going to be the one to right. watch offensively and and defensively. I I think Holtby's your right hurts the most because yep. uh, you really don't know what you're getting in Phoenix Copley. You're probably gonna go into the ufa um batch of goaltenders and see maybe like give steve mason some playing time but i right <laughs> there's not really a market for goaltenders out there there hasn't been for a while now yep um it's, it does as we'll mention it does seem like a lot of goaltenders are injured right now um one of which we'll get into in a second but at the moment, it's they're all they're day to day, so they could be returning um, this week. But at the moment, they're day to day. We'll be posted though, I guess. Uh, Vasilevsky um, is out four to six weeks with a broken foot. Uh, we mentioned this when we were both talking about this in our power rankings. But um, Doming is now their their starting goaltender. Um, he did not look good. I told you that, or I, t- I said that he uh, he gave up five goals um, against the fl- um, against the Flyers. I mean, still, it's like tough to worry about them completely, considering what the the Lightning have on the front end of things on both defense and offense. But at the same time, this has to hurt the Lightning um, in that regard, where you're like. Um, can they survive? It's, it's a huge loss for them, for sure. Yeah, and even when Andre Vasilevsky does come back, the answer is how effective he's going to be because, right. you know, like mobility could be effective. Maybe it's something where he's not 100% and his play takes a hit. So it might be four to six week recovery period, but the issues could linger well beyond that. So yep. it'll be interesting to see what happens with Tampa during that time. Um, Crosby ha- is... Uh... It says that he skated at the end of Saturday's morning skate, but he won't play. Um, he didn't play against Ottawa um, later that day. Um, but it, he has an upper body injury. He's day-to-day. Again, he's one of those things where he could be out there the next game. We're not entirely sure. But, um, yeah, Crosby's out. Um, and, it, again, it's it's one of those things that it's been happening all the time now is when – when Crosby gets injured, Malkin steps up his game. And then when Malkin gets injured, Crosby steps up his game. So maybe it'll be a similar type of thing. But 
Um, yeah, at the moment, the Penguins have even bigger issues because, like, what do you do with Matt Murray? So, um, yeah. so yeah, exactly. Um, the good news with Sid the Kid is that it's not a concussion, which is right. good. And the fact that he's skating on the ice is good. So um, the hope is probably that he'll stick on track and uh, a week is all he's going to miss. Yep, um, for sure. Uh, let's see here. Cam Fowler. Um, the Ducks, I, I feel like there's something in the water in Anaheim. Like, what? what's going on there? Uh, Cam Fowler's injured. I mean, he was injured a lot last year, but um, it looks like he's undergoing surgery on his right facial fa- a complex right facial fracture, which whatever. Yeah, that means. so so it involves the orbital bone, cheekbone, and upper jaw bone. And simple uh, simple explanations to how that happened. He was struck in the face by a puck on Monday night against Nashville, and yep. uh, now he's going to be out for several weeks. It's, it's nuts. Um, yeah, and surgery is required. So. Yeah. Also, I've seen here that Patrick Eves is back on the IR. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so that's he's great. out, Fowler's out again, and more strain on Gibson, more strain on the defense. So, yep. uh, yeah, happier times in Anaheim compared to yep. Pittsburgh. Nah, um, say that, we're being sarcastic. No, no, for sure. Uh, P.K. Subban and Victor Arvidsson both sustained an upper body injury. Uh, Subban is day-to-day, but Arvidsson is uh, supposedly supposed to be back late November, early December, according to Roto World, I guess in the next six to eight weeks, uh, due to yeah. a broken thumb. Um, PK is not, it's undisclosed what he actually mm-hmm. injured, but um, but yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's again, it's one of those things where you're like, um, maybe it'll work out, but um you know, the Predators are so deep because they still have, um, you know, on the defensive side of things, they still have Yossi, they still have um, Ellis, they still have Ekholm even. Um, so they should be okay on the defensive side of things. And then on the forward group, they still have Forsberg. They still have Johansson. They still have, I don't know, Fiala. <laughs> I guess they don't have as much depth on the forward side of things. But um but it seems like Rene is back to full health and all that stuff. So I'm less concerned about that per se. But um, if Subban's out for long and Arvidsson's out for long, then maybe it's time to be concerned. But at this point, I'm just doing a wait and see approach to them. Yeah, I think it'd be a different story if it was like two to three weeks. But now it's just more of a wait and see kind of thing. Yep. And you look at Arvidsson, probably one of their most efficient goal scorers. Eight goals and 13 points in 13 games. Yep. Two game winners. And he only has 34 shots. So his shooting percentage is roughly 23% right now. Yep. Um, and less ice time for him means more ice time for the guys taking his place. But, you know, with Arvidsson on the ice, it's kind of like Tampa Bay where you have all that star power on line one. If they can't get it done, lines two, three, and four benefit. Yeah. But sure. when you have one of those star powers out due to injury, um, how much are the second, third, and fourth lines going to benefit if if the chemistry is juggled around and no one's playing with their usual line mates? So that'll be interesting uh, to see if I'm Nashville, if I'm the Preds fans, how their team is going to do with without Arvidsson for that extended period of time. It'd be a different story if it was two weeks. Six to eight weeks is a different ball game, and oh yeah, for sure. Um, that's. Hopefully something that's not going to impact my fantasy team because now we're getting to the injuries that are starting to affect my team. We had Crosby and now Arvidsson, so, yeah. 
And you have Matt Murray too, so it's uh, yeah, good. yeah. And I have Matt Murray. That uh, yeah. you know, be an accomplishment if he can finish one game. Don't worry, my my fantasy team is even worse. It's in even worse shape <laughs> in terms of injuries because I had uh, my, my team's in second place. It's not right. doing terrible, but I'd much rather be in first. But my team, I have hurdle in a couple leagues. I have Ranta in a couple leagues, and my goaltending situation is not good. Like Crawford's my only starting goaltender. So, um, so yeah. Uh, anyways, uh, let's not make this into a fantasy show. Uh, speaking of, Brian Elliott is um, expected to be out for the next two weeks. It's a lower body injury. I hate when I, I understand why teams do this, but just be specific. Come on, man. Um, it's just like lower body, upper body. Uh, some are undisclosed. It's like you could like it's not even specific either. You could just say what exactly it is, but I understand it. Well, like I said, if it impacts his mobility and that's just ammo for the other team, it's just like, oh, he can't move around? Okay, move the puck around, make sure he's moving around his... I, I get it. Like if if you know that like Crosby has an injured knee, then you don't want to like yeah target his knee. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I understand it from that perspective, but it's annoying as a fan where you're like, yeah. what exactly it's a, is it? It's a pet peeve of ours. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's not as it's not as much of a pet peeve as playing injured for me, but <laughs> yeah, we know that, that's your big pet that, peeve. Yeah. That one I hate the most, but <laughs> it's it's still a mild annoyance for me when I'm like. I guess it, it only annoys me because of um, because of, <laughs> because of this podcast. But otherwise, I, I guess I don't necessarily care if it's in a lower body or upper body, or what it is. I guess, but um, r- as long as they admit that they're injured and don't play yeah. while they're injured, uh, <laughs> Brian Elliott is expected to be out for the next two weeks. I'm also seeing here that Michael Nerverth is also out, although that's undisclosed. Um, so. Um, it looks like the Flyers are going to have Calvin Picard. Um, I don't know who their backup would even be. Maybe Alex Lyon? It's Alex. Alex Lyon was recalled. Okay. And uh, Calvin Pickard's uh, probably getting the starting So, yeah. So, a lot of goaltenders are injured now with um, Ranta, who I mentioned quick, uh, Vasilevsky, uh, now those two uh, Philadelphia Flyers goaltenders. Uh, so, um, goalies are. If Carolina decides to drop one of their three goaltenders, they won't be on the waiver wire for long. For sure, for sure. Um, but um, yeah, so I don't know. We'll we'll see how. Um, I mean, I think the Flyers are in terrible shape. I mean, the goaltenders are really the biggest issue for the Flyers, anyways. So um, maybe it's going to be a while till um, till they figure that out. Even if even if Brian Elliott is healthy, um, so we'll see. Uh, I guess it gives me hope that uh, my sins aren't a total train wreck. Yep. Uh, The Bruins have a ton of injuries, but we'll get to that in the Bruins sins segment. Um, So, like, it's a good tease here. Uh, But first, we have two, I was going to say big trades, but uh, semi-big trades, I guess. Uh, We'll start with the Carl Hagelin. It was both one-for-one trades. Uh, Carl Hagelin gets traded to the Kings... Um, for Tanner Pearson, um, these are kind of, when I was looking at these stats of both these guys, both have kind of similar numbers. Um, the only difference is that Tanner Pearson's a little bit younger. Um, so I would th- like I feel like this is one of those things where both teams are struggling and they both need a move just to see how things go. Um, 
I I feel like Tanner Pearson might be um, better off than Carl Haglin, um, especially since he, Tanner Pearson's going to be playing with Malkin, and then Haglin's probably going to be playing with Jeff Carter. So it's <laughs> that's a big difference. Um, not that Jeff Carter is a bad hockey player, but I think you'd rather have Malkin than uh, than Carter. Um, so um, neither have scored yet, but they both have played two games for their new teams. Um, but uh, yeah, I imagine let's see here. Although Carl Hagelin has played more ice time um, than uh, Pearson in those two games, um, so we'll see. Uh, if this works out, but at the moment, I think I'd give the advantage to the Penguins uh, just because because ha- uh, Pearson is younger um, and has more potential. Yeah, like I said, the Penguins and the Kings are just a couple of the teams that uh, maybe don't uh, make the Sens look like less of a train wreck, but they certainly make the Sens look better than yeah. what a lot of people think they are because, like, we're talking about two teams that you probably expect to be in the playoff picture that are not and are trying to shake things up on the king's side of things rob blake isn't really pleased with the team's overall performance and we saw it on the coaching chain to go and um what what the pen or what uh, the kings are lacking and what we've said they've been lacking is speed they're too slow and that's one of Carl Hagelin's strengths. He won uh, the fastest skater in 2012. Um, he's still pretty fast player today. And he's also apparently going to help the Kings penalty kill, according to Rob Blake. He thinks he'd be a good fit there. So we'll see uh, what happens there. And and to his point, nobody else on Pittsburgh logged more ice time on the penalty kill than Carl Hagelin, besides Raleigh Sheehan. So. And then on top of that, Carl Hagelin is a free agent and uh after this year so they could always just flip him at the deadline for assets if That's they're true. still trash so we'll see what happens on the king's side i think on the pen side they're more desperate because jim rutherford was given a three-year extension shortly before this deal was made or maybe it was shortly after yep um and he's been emphasizing the need for for some changes uh, that his team hasn't really played up to par um, up to the level of expectations that people have expected, and he's yeah. not wrong at all. Like the yeah. Penguins need to be doing better than 500 hockey. In fact, they're all 500 and dead last in the East right now. So yeah. um, this is definitely not Pittsburgh Penguins hockey that we're used to seeing. Um, but looking at Tanner Pearson in 2015-2016, he had 15 goals on 137 shots goals on 187 shots the year after that and last year he had 15 goals on 180 shots so no goals on 24 shots this year might look bad but when you compare that to his stats from previous years you could slot him on the top line and probably get some results like he's not a guy that can get results on his own i think he like tom wilson he needs to be put in the perfect scenario but i think that um someone like Tanner Pearson could help um, the Penguins secondary scoring. Um, the problem is he's under contract for the next two years at $3.75 million on average per year. And for a Penguins team that has to sign Jake Gensel after this year, that doesn't help their cap situation. And it's going to get to a point still where 
if this doesn't shake up their team, then you have to look behind the bench. Yep. Because if the team isn't playing well under the coach, something needs to change. And right now, they've got a pretty darn good coach on the open market that I'm sure could really shake things up in Pittsburgh and get them results. Yeah, for sure. I like you mentioned that this like like Rutherford felt like he had to do something. Um, I mean, he's known to make these kind of like depth trades and where you think like, I think he, um, where you like trades like a low, low, like he sells low and buys, um, and buys low kind of thing. So this is one of those kind of trades. Having said all that, I don't know if it's worth it, um, per se. Yeah, um, like how many more trades is he going to make? Like, I think if he trades yeah. for a star, one of their stars on the team right now is out the door. Right, for sure. Um, so, so I don't know if it's worth, like, I feel like he has to do a little bit more. It is a start. I am curious though, why the Kings made this trade? Cause, um, the Kings biggest issue is that they're all a bunch of old guys. So you trade your, your Tanner Pearson, who's like 26 years old for Carl Haglin, who's over 30 years old. So I, I don't understand it from that perspective where you're like, I thought you, you know, the Kings need to be younger yet they trade, uh, you know, they get older um, by this trade, literally. So I don't know um, why they decided to do that in that regard, but I don't know, maybe, maybe <laughs> I feel, I still feel like it's a relatively easy trade, uh, even trade, um, but I just, like, I think just the age difference um, makes the Penguins get the advantage here, but I still feel like the Penguins... Um, Neither, neither of these guys are going to change where the where the teams are at currently. But I feel like this helps the Penguins a little bit more. I really feel bad for Dion Phaneuf because he goes from a situation in Ottawa where they're not that good to a suddenly contending team in the Kings. And yep. he's basically back to square one now. Exactly. Yeah, Only there's true. just less off-season drama. Well, I mean, you would feel bad for a guy like Matt Duchesne but then, um, but then it seems like Matthew Shane is si almost single-handedly putting the the Senators into a playoff contending team. So, um, but he was in a similar situation where you trade him uh, to uh, from Colorado to Ottawa. They are one of the worst teams, and then this year um, it looked like it was going to be a train wreck, and now Duchesne is um, kind of leading the team into. Uh, uh, being somewhat relevant uh, this year. Um, oh, Mostly Craig Anderson, but yeah, Duchesne has played a role. You're right. And, and Shabbat, too. Um, yeah. But I, I, like, isn't, I guess we're getting sidetracked. Let me, you know, <laughs> let's, let's get back on on track. And then, we'll, we'll, <laughs> well, I'll we'll say talk that, more in Bruin sense. Yeah, we'll talk sure. more about that later. Um, yeah. I forgot to mention the uh, Jacob Trickerin contract. He is signed for. Uh, he has a six-year contract extension. I forgot to look the uh, the annual average value, but um, yeah, I, I I got the information right here. If you want okay. me to divulge, I know it's six years. Okay. but that's it. Yeah, so six-year extension, uh, four point six million annual average value. Uh, he's also got a ten-team no trade in years five and six. The interesting part is how it goes up every year. 2.6 in year one, 3.3 in year two, 5.3 in year three, 4 million in year four, 
four in year five and a whopping million in the final year wow. of his deal. Like, we're talking about a guy that um, has missed 44 games due to knee injuries in his career, and yeah. a day or so after signing this contract, he landed back injured, yeah. on the IR with an upper body issue. So yeah. I, I get that in his rookie campaign, he put up decent uh, numbers. He had 20 points, and he got over 100 shots in his second NHL season and only uh, played in 50 games. So to to do that and put up 14 points is still pretty good. Right. Um, if he can make strides and stay healthy every year, this this could be a good tri- uh, this could be a good signing because I definitely think he can help this team. Yep. But if you look at the Coyotes' defense as a whole, um, it, it's starting to come into uh, fruition what their defense is going to look like because they hooked up OEL with a, a contract extension this past offseason. But um, you you look at um, some of the short-term players they're going to have to re-sign in a little bit. Um, Demers and Goligoski both are injured. Demers has got um, has got a knee injury and he's I think reportedly done for the year, so that sucks. Yep. Uh, but anyways, both those guys are in injured reserve right now, Demers and Goligoski. They got two years left on their deals after this year. Uh, Jalmerson, three years left on his. Connaughton is on the payroll for this year and next. And right now they have four guys playing on their team that are due for new deals beyond this season. So it's not totally set in stone, but they're starting to figure out which guys are in the long haul. Yeah. But – if, if you're looking at a guy like Jacob Chikorin who's going to be injury-prone uh, for the rest of his career, obviously you don't know that, but if that's the case, um, and you're going to be paying him like upwards of $4 million for a handful of years, um, I'm a bit cautious with this deal because I don't really know what we're getting out of this guy yet. Yeah, I'm 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 still I'm not ready to call him injury prone just yet. I know he did miss about 20 games last year and he's only played one game so far this year, but um at the same time I'm not ready like I feel I still feel like, you know, he's only 20 years old um and in those 50 games that he did play last year, he was he was decent. Like he, the the point totals weren't there, but he had like 72 I'm looking at his stats here. He had 72 blocks. 74 hits in 50 of those games and not to mention he had a hundred shots in those 50 games so it's like um like and he had like a 3.9 shooting percentage so that's bound to go up um i just feel like um the more he plays like once he's actually healthy which is only a matter of time then we can truly say like hey um i feel like it's worth it for him but uh, I was going to say that I think the Coyotes have kind of um, worked themselves into being kind of like they've built themselves into having like a full list of core defensemen out there because you have OEL or the Swedish Law Firm, which is my favorite nickname that you have. Yeah. Um, you have OEL for a long term now. Um, he's the captain. Alex Goligoski is one of the more underrated guys now. I know, I know he's 33, but he's still... Uh, he's still pretty decent when healthy. Uh, Jason Demers is also another underrated guy, but he's still pretty good when healthy. Um, and then you have Jacob Chikrin out there. So that's like, and and not to mention John Wilson, who's the key underrated shutdown guy too. So 
Um, yeah. I feel like once you get Goligoski, Chikrin, and uh, Demers uh, with John Wilson and OEL, that's uh, that's a that's pretty good five defensemen uh, that you can all count on to be uh, to help out. So um, I like that. I like, and they're all kind of locked up for the at least the next three years. Um, I don't know. I I kind of I like what the Coyotes are doing with this move. Um, maybe I'm a little bit more high on Chikrin than a lot of other people, but um, like just looking at his underlying moments, I could see it being like maybe this this guy could be. I could see maybe like a Provorov type situation where um, he just does all the little things and maybe gets on the point score sheet every once in a while, but it's all there every, like the rest of the stuff is all there. Um, so um, I, I kind of like, I like this deal, but you're right. There is some health concern. I'm not ready just yet to consider him a Band-Aid person um, just yet, but I, I can understand your concern, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last trade... Um, before we get on to Bruins send segment, uh, Ryan Spooner, um, gets, it's two Ryans, Ryan Spooner, uh, from the Rangers goes to the Oilers, uh, for Ryan Strom. Um, I guess this means that Ty Ratty is, um, not, uh, like I would imagine Spooner is going to be on McDavid's line, um, maybe Drysaddle's line, but... Um, Spooner has has been pretty inconsistent. Um, I just remember him from the time in Boston. He had, he didn't really get a fair shake in New York. Um, I mean, he did do decently last season when he got traded to the Rangers, but this year something's going on because he only had two points in sixteen games. So I can understand maybe just needing a change of scenery um, out in Edmonton. Um, so I like this deal more for. Um, Edmonton, Ryan Strom, he had potential, um, but at the same time, it doesn't look great. Um, if you remember, uh, Ryan Strom was traded uh, for uh, Jordan Eberle. Jordan Eberle hasn't been great either, but uh, he has been doing better than Ryan Strom. So it's kind of funny that it's now it's basically, that trade is now Ryan Spooner for Jordan Eberle. Um, and I think most people would take Jordan Epperly more than Ryan Spooner. Um, but I could see this working out for the Oilers, um, having said all that. I, um, I, I I always liked Ryan Spooner. I know that he's not great defensively, but um, at the same time, you know, he's, he's one of the best uh, special teams, power play specialists out there. So, um, and, and of course, Peter Torelli is the guy who gets him um, in, in his system. So... Um, I, I kind of have a soft spot for Spooner and I hope he does well there in Edmonton, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I like this trade for, for the, uh, the Oilers. I think the fact that Edmonton needs offensive depth and Ryan Spooner's talents, I think can be utilized better than Ryan Strom's. I think that's going to help the Oilers in theory. And he got three shots in his debut against the flames on Saturday. He didn't get a point, but three shots in his debut. That's pretty good. Um, like you take a look at his stats with the Rangers last year. He was also a point per game player when he came over there. So if he can do that on a Rangers team on the downturn last year, I think he can have quite the impact uh, for an Edmonton team that's expecting to do well this year. 
Um, as for Ryan Strome, he got his second point of the season in his last game of the Oilers, a 6-2 win over Montreal. He had zero points in his first game with the Rangers, uh, playing 16 minutes and 42 seconds of ice time. But over his past five games, he's had two points. And prior to that, he had zero points, period. So I think both players are starting to get their confidence up. Um, but I think it was a matter of trading places because I don't think either guy was going to get it going uh, with their current team. So I think something had to be done. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that's true. I think it might be a similar situation to the last trade we were talking about, um, where it's just like both teams are trying to figure things out um, just for depth pieces and all that stuff. So, um, but yeah, I don't know if Ryan Strom will pick it up, but... Um, for the Rangers, but I I don't know I f- I feel like a Spooner gets more has more potential than Strom does, um, per se. Uh, let's go to the Bruins send segment. Um, I have here that you're going first, so um, yeah. I'll give it to you. And you had a better week than I did, so uh, the Bruins did. So uh, let's let's hear from you. <laughs> Yeah, it was slightly better. Uh, if you haven't heard of Drake Patherson, you're about to after you're done listening to this podcast. Uh, he had 20 points in 14 AHL games, uh, highlighted by a six-point performance against the Marlies a few weeks back. Um, prior to that, a world junior stud with the Canadian team earlier this year, uh, one gold with the team. He continued his junior hockey dominance with Blainville Boisbriand in the QMJHL when he returned from that tournament. So he's made lots of strides this year. So only fitting that in his NHL debut, he continued the trend. First goal on his first shot. And prior to that first goal on his first shot, he actually scored on his first shot, but it was called back due to goalie interference. So he could have had two goals on his first two shots in this game. So that's quite a first impression. And then a full team effort on display against the Penguins on Saturday night. Down one nothing early on. Then they open not one, not two, but three straight goals in the pens to take a 3-1 lead after 20. Matt Murray's gone from the net. Stone gets a short-handed goal in the second to make it 4-1. Minute later, 5-1 thanks to Cody Cece. Uh, the pens push back as we might expect in the third period, but uh, the Sens were able to hold on for a 6-4 win. And at the end of the day, this is still a team that's going to rely on Craig Anderson to win hockey games. And... Um, I know that Thomas Shabbat recently went on a multi-game point slide, and that's the closest thing to a drought we've seen from Thomas Shabbat because Thomas Shabbat has been that good. But the Sens are still winning even if he doesn't show up. If Anderson isn't ready to go, this team's going to lose a lot more games than they're going to win. Like, they were pressuring Detroit early on on Thursday, and they were getting results. But the Red Wings get momentum. Two penalty shots in the third period alone. They had two chances to tie it. And it was only thanks to Craig Anderson that they didn't. So the Ottawa Senators are still a team that's going to go as far as Craig Anderson can take them. So with that being said, they host Florida Monday, visit Minnesota on Wednesday, and then their next game is after American Thanksgiving, which is Friday in Dallas. So we'll see what they do uh, this week. Okay. Well, yeah, it's funny. You're making me into more of a Sens fan. So I actually picked up either Batherson in one of my leagues, and and I have Kachuk in one league. I have Shabbat, uh, who I inherited from another league. So, um, 
So yeah, I'm, I'm kind of a Suns fan. I never thought that, w- that day would come, but uh, uh, I guess, thank you. <laughs> you you reminded me of um of the hashtag that was trending when Batherson scored his first uh, when Batherson scored his first goal. It's totally ridiculous. Yeah. Um, it's bath time was trending on Twitter. Yeah. On Thursday. Well, so. Well, what happened yeah, was whatever works, right? Yeah. Well, I I remember you you were telling me that you were excited for him because I was, I guess this is a good segue because I was complaining about how the Bruins stink now. With, or have all these injuries here and then you're like I'm just excited for uh, Batherson uh, and then I looked him up and I was like I saw he had 20 ga- points in 16 AHL games and I'm like alright I'm all in now <laughs> so I was I was going to wait a couple games but now I, I'm in I have him on my team I might and, add and him on my other team where like he was getting yeah where like he was getting second year reps this is his first he hasn't even played a full ahl season he just went from junior right to the ahl and it's and he's fitting right in already so and it you know for a couple of players usually when they make the nhl they usually go down to the ahl first right so the fact that he's getting this confidence boost already before he's even played a full AHL season, then to come to the NHL in his first two games, register a point in both. Yeah. That's saying a lot. I mean, and, like, it it makes uh, Brady Kachuk's, um, like, the fact that Brady Kachuk is contributing, it makes it even more more impressive because he hasn't even played in the AHL yet. So... Um, yeah, so and, and and you talk about Brady Kachuk and how good he's been. He yeah. was moved to the second line, and Batherson was on line one in his yeah. debut. Which so to amazing. have that amount of confidence to put Batherson on the top line in his debut, again, that says a lot about how good Drake Batherson is. Yep, for sure. Uh, uh, so now we get into... Um, so the Bruins have a lot of rookies in their lineup, uh, but it's kind of out of situation. Um, yeah, it's not by it's not by well, choice. It's not by choice. Um, I, so a lot of these players got injured throughout the week, but um, I do want to start it out because this is a big thing here. So Chara got injured uh, against Colorado. I'll get into the games in a second, but I feel like I should start it off with all the injuries we have. Uh, Chara got injured after the Colorado game. Um, which I'll explain later. Um, it looked it looked pretty nasty, but it was a knee injury. It was a knee on knee kind of thing. It looked like he kind of things. So you always worry about because he's forty one years old, um, and you're sort of worried about what's going to happen, um, like uh, when when an old guy like that gets injured. So we could be seeing like like I mean we've been saying this for a long time now, but this could literally be the last season for Chara. Um, I wouldn't be surprised about that um, just because of this knee injury. It didn't look terribly bad, so I wouldn't be surprised if we see him this uh, for the sometime this uh, towards this season. But It wasn't as bad as some other injuries I've seen, yeah. but it was still pretty bad. Like, it, it yeah. kind of 
it didn't bend the way it was supposed to. Right, right. Yeah, it, it wasn't it, like it didn't like it didn't like you know right. like break or fold. But right, like, it's not like one of those. T- you could you could tell where he was hurting. Right, it's not like one of those things where you're just angry at the guy who did it because it wasn't intentional. It just no, no. It just it was just it was, it was innocent looking incidental. At yeah, um, but still, so that's gonna hurt. Um, they also don't have John Moore. Brandon Carlo, and that's added on already to McAvoy and Kevin Miller and Urho Vakanainen. So that's, um, let me count here, that's six defensemen that are injured, five of which were our de- um, were defensemen for us at the start of the year. So that means that we have Tory Krug, um, who, by the way, he was injured at the start of the year, um, yeah. Matt Grizzlick, who is only supposed to be a depth defenseman. Um, and those are the only two who, players who have um, NHL experience now. Uh, Jeremy Lazan, uh, Connor Clifton, Jacob Zaboral, who, by the way, was the 2015 uh, draft pick we had. And yeah, he was, he was a part of the 2015 three that you drafted yeah. back to back to back. Exactly. And we also have Steve Camfer too. Um, who we got from that Adam McQuaid trade. Um, so it's literally like Tory Krug and uh, four guys. And, and it's really, it's literally Krug and Grizzlick and then four HL guys um, who are playing right now. So keep that in mind while we, uh, while we talk about all these games uh, because we went one and two, um, or one, one and one actually. Um, throughout this week. And then also, uh, I guess I, I'm kind of burying the lead, but Bergeron also got injured um, in the uh, Dallas game and he didn't play in Arizona. Uh, so we don't have Bergeron, we don't have Chara. Um, it's basically the apocalypse here in Boston Bruins world uh, because Bergeron and Chara are not only like have been our two best players in the last 10 years for us, but um, you know, of course, they're like a huge leader. So guys like Marshawn, guys like Pasternak, Tuca, they all have to step up in leadership roles. Even guys like David Backus, although he's not contributing, or David Krejci, even though they're not contributing, offensively speaking, as much as they used to. But, you know, they have to step up because Bergeron and Char are basically co-captains. Um, so that's going to be... I'm worried about that if, if Bergeron is out long-term. And same with Chara. Um, mm-hmm. But um, you have to keep on going. Um, we'll start with uh, the game against the Avalanche, which was not a fun game to watch. Um, it did start out good, though. Uh, Landeskog scored first, and then we had Pasternak and Jake DeBrusque um score again and then you had Jake DeBrus score again in the power play I remember thinking like oh my god Jake DeBrus might actually be on the next level now like this is finally his time um so so that was exciting but um but then what ended up happening wasn't great uh Miko Rantanen then scored uh Calvert and then in the third period it was just like an onslaught uh Colorado had Mount Calvert McKinnon, Jost, and Kerfoot, they all scored um, in the third period. The Bruins couldn't even come up with anything. Uh, This is one of those things where it was just 
Halleck was playing the entire game. Um, he did not look good. There was a couple of soft goals in, in those times, but um, and I remember you saying that I think Colorado has done this before um, to another team. So um, so it's not surprising that Colorado was able to do this, but it was just it was just annoying um, per se. So I feel like that was a game that we could have won. But it's just one of those games, like the Vancouver game last week, where you're like, I just want to forget this um, and and move on. Um, luckily, I saw that Tuka Rask was um, was healthy that game, so um, so he did play against Dallas. Uh, full disclosure, I didn't actually watch this game live, but I did see all the highlights. Um, there are about three different notes here, um, things that I wanted to talk about. One. Uh, Spezza, uh, was like, uh, interfering with Tuka Rask towards the middle of the game. Um, and then Connor Clifton, who is one of our replacement defensemen now, um, he kind of like shoved, uh, and started fighting Connor Clifton. And, um, so it was like the 16 year old vet, uh, picking on Connor Clifton, who was literally playing his first game. Um, and Connor Clifton uh, kind of um, actually won that fight, um, which was amazing. And like Spezza was, I don't know what Spezza was doing there because he's not even really like an aggressive guy. No, no, I was yeah. just, I was watching that and I'm just thinking, wow, Jason Spezza picking a fight? What is going on here? Yeah, exactly. It's and so it was just not like him. Yeah, it was, it was so weird. And it's not that I even hate like Spezza or anything is just like neither do I. I just was yeah. expecting it. I was just like, why are you doing that? Maybe he was trying to. He knew that Clifton. This was Clifton's first game, so he was trying to say like, "Welcome to the yeah, NHL," kind the of NHL thing. Kid, yeah. Yeah, but thing. like at the same time, it's like if Jason Spezza is trying to like out physical you, then you know there's an issue. Um, so no, no offense to Jason Spezza. He's an incredible player, uh, but. It's still like, uh, it was just amazing that he was able to do that. Um, the other thing um, was Brad Marchand was, uh, um, he, there was, I think it was in the second period. Yeah, it was in the second period. I'm looking at the penalties list here. He had, um, it was a slash on to uh, Ben Bishop and Ben Bishop kind of reacted. Oh my God, yeah, that, that was absurd. Yep. That was absurd. And um, and all of a sudden, um, all of a sudden the refs started to actually they actually called a slashing penalty on Brad Marchand, um, and uh, it was kind of ridiculous. He got a he had a slashing penalty, and then he had a ten minute thing, and uh, Jack Edwards was furious, of course, because um, he always is, but uh, he. Uh, it's just incredible. It reminded me back to that Nashville game where uh, Colton Sissons was acting like he had been shot, um, and he clearly wasn't because um, Marshawn barely touched him. So it's just, it's just now it's like this is the thing where like players know that Marshawn has this reputation, so they just play off that and hope that the refs don't notice that it wasn't actually that bad. And what's impressive about Marshawn now is that he's become like this team guy now. Um, so it's like he hasn't, relatively speaking, he hasn't even been that bad um, compared to other things. And now watch that he's going to be like, he's going to be a, a stir, pot stir um, in the next game. But 
um, at the moment he's, he has been like a team guy and it's just now like uh, like players are trying to take advantage of his reputation um, and like like try to get away with something in hoping that the refs see it their way and and that's going to be frustrating but it's one of those things where I I'd rather be defending Brad Marchand here than when he actually does do something stupid so I guess I that's the bright spot. I think kind of sold it on that play. Yeah. I, do, I don't know why Marshawn did what he did there. If, it's true. Or how hard of a slash it was. But, like, it's like the play from behind the net. And, he, and it looks Well, like it was clearly an embellishment. I don't know how hard of a whack it was. I think Bishop might have sold it, it a little bit. It wasn't, it wasn't that like, hard. <laughs> it wasn't that hard. It does make sense why, why that play even had to transpire. Yeah. But... I, I definitely think they could have been easier on Marshawn because I, I, I think, like I said, uh, if Bishop kind of, kind of, kind of, I just flashing back to, to Jack Edwards' commentary after that, and he's yeah. like, that's a slash? That couldn't have crushed a grape. Right, right, for sure. Um, uh, and it's, then it's, it's just pretty comical. I, I love when he goes to the box and a fan is chirping at him. Oh, yeah. And you can clearly read Marshawn's lips. He says, how much money did you pay to watch me? Right, right. It was funny. I remember there was like one fan who said like, we didn't come here to pay you. Meanwhile, like everyone's recording him and like engaging with him. It's like very clearly he has his, his point is, is like, um, uh, that, that's not true, lady. Um, and then the other point I wanted to mention, Tuka Rask had uh, an incredible game, um, although he almost had a shutout, uh, but he had 36 saves on 37 shots. Um, the, the one goal that he gave up was in his fault. It was a nice goal by Jason Dickinson to Mat Matthias Janmark. Um, this is one of those games where it's like, uh, like when you when you're stopping 36, 37 shots, um, or trying to stop thirty six shots, that just shows that it, it's not the goalie's fault. It's it's just the defense overall. Um, and you look at the shots in overtime. Yeah. Six nothing Dallas, and that that overtime frame didn't right. even take two minutes. And like the shot disparity, like only Ben Bishop only saved twenty three shots. So it wasn't yeah. just the defense on our side; it was like the offense. So, um, so that's that's just like it's just showing that like Tuka Rask literally uh, got us a point in overtime because uh, it could have been a lot worse. But um, I was I was hoping that it would have been a shutout, but um, but no, it, it turned out that the uh, the Stars got a goal in the end there. Um, but yeah, those were the exciting parts of that game, even though I didn't see it all. Um, and then lastly, we have, um, the Bruins played the Coyotes the next day. Um, Halleck was in net this time. Um, Jacob Forsbacher Carlson got a goal, which was nice to see. Um, Carlson got on the board. He was, I guess, I was going to make a joke that he has more goals than Carlson, the other Carlson, but... That's not He's true got the anymore. Same amount now, yeah. yeah, now he has the same amount. Um, and then uh, Jake DeBrus gets another goal, which was a beauty of us. It was one of those ones where Brad Marchand uh, had like a breakaway, um, and then he missed it, and then uh, DeBrus was able to score after that. So um, on that rebound, 
So that was a nice play. It was it was pretty much all Brad Marchand and all DeBrusk had to do was just put it in the net. So that was nice. But um, I, I'm loving what I'm seeing of Jake DeBrusk. Um, I, I've been talking about this early on in the season that like the Bruins just need a lot more depth scoring. And now I'm just... Um, so DeBrusk is... If DeBrusk can keep it going, especially now with Bergeron out, um, for how long it is going to be, um, I know that they have Pasternak, I know that they have Marshawn, but um, if we can get DeBrusque going and Krejci going, um, not even on the same line, um, you know, I'm all for that. Um, and then uh, the Coyotes did, uh, they, uh, they gave, they scored a goal in the next period to Brad Richardson, um, or Brad Richardson got that goal. Um, and then other than that, it wasn't as an exciting game. Um, Halleck stopped uh, 32 shots of 33 um, potential. Um, so yeah, it was it was a nice win, ex- especially as I was talking about because we didn't have Bergeron, we didn't have Chara, we didn't have McAvoy, um, we don't have a lot of players. We're very injured. But at the same time, the Coyotes don't have Demers, Chikrin, Goligoski, Ranta, so they're they're also injured injury riddled as well so it's just a bunch of injured guys um that so it's like i don't know i hate to blame injuries but i feel like these next couple weeks um are going to be interesting to see how the bruins manage because you know charles 41 years old bergeron's not too far behind him in that regard so I will be curious to see how the Bruins do from like a, just a leadership perspective, just from a defensive perspective. I know it's going to be different because, you know, Carlo and McAvoy and even Vakanen are supposed to be big time defensive guys for us in the future. But I am going to be curious to see like this is when depth scoring and depth help is going to matter. And oh, yeah. So I will be curious to see how that that goes works out for them. Um, this week, we have the Bruins play Detroit on Wednesday, um, and then the, the 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 Black Friday they play the Pittsburgh Penguins. Although it's not a matinee, which I always thought was uh, I thought it was a I guess it's not a it is a home game, but they always have the matinee on Black Friday. But it looks like it's that's seven thirty. But anyways, they're playing Pittsburgh, and then they go to uh, Montreal on Saturday, so that should be fun. But um, I am more concerned about uh, Bergeron's health and Chara's health, um, and I hope they get better. Uh, I don't know how serious Bergeron is, but um, this could be a, a little bit of a look into what life is going to be like without Bergeron and Chara. Because those guys have been a big part of the Bruins teams for the past decade or so. Um, it's going to be kind of sad um, if if it's like the start of the end for these guys. But hopefully they're, they're not seriously injured or we'll see them. Um, for Bergeron's case, we don't know the timetable yet. I believe Chara is out um, four to six weeks. Um, yeah, four to six weeks, yeah. Um. McAvoy still uh, has begun tra- skating again, so we may see him in the lineup. Um, and I'm not sure about how serious Carlo is 
yet or John Moore is yet, but um, I think uh, Bergeron and John Moore are going have traveled back to Boston to be reevaluated by team doctors. So I think we'll find out more information about them later on. I don't know. I'm I'm kind of worried, honestly, Steve. Uh, this could be this uh this could be a slide for the Bruins. I could see this being a, if Bergeron's out for long. I don't know if the Bruins will make the playoffs, honestly. Um, I never thought I'd see the day where Ottawa might be better than Boston record-wise. I know, I know. It could yeah, happen. Though. Um, it could happen. Um, I just realized that I've been talking for a long time now. Uh, so <laughs> we're almost at two hours here. Um, I guess that's the usual for us now. Um, I'm. Uh, you can check us out on Lace em Up. Um, Lace Up Podcast is our Twitter. Our Facebook is Lace Em Up. And um, yeah, I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 147 of Lace Em Up Podcast. And to all of our American listeners, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving.